podcasting world welcome back to another episode of the core consult rx podcast i'm mike corvino cole swanson's with me also our good buddy roshana shana what's up hey podcast world <laughs> number not, two but uh, really sure who the podcast world is i don't even know why i started saying that yeah just, it started like episode like 60 ish and then I just keep saying it. You think that's probably the dumbest thing I've ever said. You think it was sixty? I thought you always said that. No, I don't think so. Okay. What do you think, Rashawn? Have you since you've gone back and listened to every episode, right? Every single one okay. of them. Okay. Good. It's the only way you get an, one. an A on my. Uh, just or, making sure because there will be a quiz come last day of rotation, <laughs> and I expect you to do phenomenal on it. Which episode was the long lost episode? Episode one. It was acne, by the way. Which that's, that's that was episode one. Well, the one that we recorded and didn't release was acne because it had technical glitches. But then, yes, there is the long lost original, original. Oh, original. that one. The OG, that's right. OG. OG. Rishana, we recorded. A, I think that was like episode four, and um, one of my students at the time was on it, and it was going to be a good episode. Except when we went back and re-listened to it, this is before Cole and I knew how to do anything with audio recording. Mm-hmm. Um, we listened to the episode, and it was literally like. You'd hear my voice, and it would just cut off with mm-hmm. static, and there was just nothing, and then my voice would come back out, or yep. Cole's voice. It was the worst, and we had to scratch the entire episode. It was the only one we've ever recorded and not released, and not released. other than that original. The first original. one, because yeah. the first one literally was the worst thing. We were trying so hard, and it was we were, that's when we decided, like, we're just going to make this casual. very we're casual. Just gonna, yeah, we're going to chat. Yeah. So, Rashana, what's up? How's your month been? Incredible? Best, oh, best month been, of your life? It's been the best, best, absolute best month of my life. <laughs> That's what I thought. It's almost done. <laughs> oh, man. Are you like so ready to be done? It's called it. Stockholm Syndrome. And, and go on to real uh, rotations after this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually sad because I'm going to miss the patients that I see and the people I get to work with each day. So it's a little bit sad. Like anybody in particular you're going to miss? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe my preceptor. Okay. okay. I'm just wondering. It's fine. It's cool. Hey, you know, we all have our opinions. <laughs> No, um, I'm definitely, uh, I was telling her today, Cole, I was like, uh, what am I supposed to do next month? Because I don't think I have a student next month. So it's the first time really? I haven't had a student in I can't remember a long the last time. time. Yeah. So I'm like, am I going to have to write my own notes? <laughs> this is going to be a nightmare. <laughs> I'm going to have to do work. Oh my one? gosh. This is um, going to be a nightmare. Yeah, if y'all hear any booming noises in the background, it's because we're recording in a hurricane, basically. Roshana got caught in it on the way in and Mike just left us stranded, pretty much. <sighs> it was an accident. Like I said, the best preceptor ever. <laughs> Ouch. Um, well, yeah, I, I walked into that one. I think that these are actually bands from the hurricane that are the, the one or if not two of the hurricanes that are coming up, you know, around Louisiana and, and that, that space. Marco, I think it is. So that's why we're having tornado warnings and thunderstorms. Yes. So be thankful, podcast world, whoever you are. Through rain and sleet and snow. Isn't that what they say? USPS? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm very, I have their, uh, their motto uh, poster in my room. Yeah. That's what we should get in here. Ah, uh, the USPS motto. <laughs> Great. I'm ordering that right now during the podcast. It will replace the, if you're not on Forbes, get back to work sign. Right. Or just add to it. Right. Yeah. Just make it better. <laughs> We're all about motivation here. We are. Um, so, Roshana, what are we talking about today? So, today we're talking about amenorrhea. What is that? <laughs> For those of us who aren't f- so familiar with it, it's when you're not having a menstrual cycle in a 90-day period. And it comes in different form. There's a primary and a secondary form of amenorrhea. Yes, there are. And um, this is one of our limited series in women's health topics because me and Mike um, are no experts 
for sure. No, and, we're, we dabble, but we're not definitely no, not experts. That's not why we experts. needed a, a true spokesperson, an advocate yes. to come with us. As so when I think of amenorrhea, what comes to mind are female athletes because they tend to do a lot of exercising. Yeah, absolutely. They, um, so you mentioned primary and secondary, right? So kind of to give some definition. So we have primary being absence of menses by age 15 in women who have never had a menstrual cycle. So that's considered primary. So that could be either some sort of endocrine disturbance. Um, like you said, it could be from you know, athletic training, overtraining, I guess you'd say, but it also could be from some sort of an ovarian function uh or ovarian dysfunction or um, some sort of outflow track anomaly. Um, and then secondary amenorrhea is more going to be in the side of a, a woman who is – there's absence of menses for three cycles or uh, for six months um, in, a, in a patient who has previously had a normal menstrual cycle. And that can be from disruption of either like the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis or the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis and can we'll kind of go into some of the different things that can lead to it. But that's kind of a very basic breakdown of primary and secondary. Yeah. And as far as some um, physiology goes, ovulation and the ovulatory cycle is very important when it comes to um, – menses and um, looking at amenorrhea in general. So without ovulation, the proper sequence of estrogen production, um, also progesterone production, um, and estrogen progesterone withdrawal will not occur. Um, so the ovaries must respond appropriately to FSH, which is follicle stimulating hormone, um, and LH, luteinizing hormone, by secreting estrogen and progesterone in the proper sequence to influence the endometrial growth and then the shedding, which would be the, the menses. So that disruption in the follicular phase, um, luteal phase, and, you know, whether that's just like an absence or an overproduction of hormones or androgens or whatever the case may be, it can lead to all kinds of different issues because amenorrhea can be a part of a much more complex issue, which is, you know, menstruation-related disorders in general. So we have like polycystic um, ovarian syndrome. We got, um, you know, dysmenorrhea in general. So there's lots of different topics we can kind of go with this. We'll touch on, you know, amenorrhea today, but I definitely think uh, this is the beginning of a, uh, what is, what's the term you always like to use, Cole? A, um, a sweet? A sweet. Yeah. Women's Health Sweet. Women's so Health Sweet. Rashawn, you're going to have to come back because we need you. Yeah. Definitely. I'll host all of them Good. for you. Thank, September thank 1, you. we'll never hear from her again. Rashawn, don't do that to us. <laughs> you promised us on, on live on the podcast. We'll be, you'll be like, why aren't you responding to my text? You'll, you'll have three texts asking her to come on for the Women's Health. It's like the day of, Rashawn, we need you. So, Rashawn, when you want to walk us through some of the, uh, the different anatomical um, issues that could be at play here? So when you think of amenorrhea, it could involve the uterus where there's a congenital uterine abnormality. It can involve the ovaries where there's gonadal dysgenesis or chemotherapy radiation could cause the ovaries to have amenorrhea. Anterior pituitary gland could be involved where there's prolactin secretion adenoma that's increasing the amount of prolactin suppressing the hyperpituitary ovarian axis. Or it could be medications like antipsychotics and varapamil that increases the prolactin suppression that increases prolactin, suppressing the hypothalamus pituitary ovarian axis. Another cause could be the hypothalamus. And you can think about people that are having eating disorders, that's decreasing the pulsatile release of gonadotropin releasing hormone or decreasing follicle stimulating hormone or luteinizing horm hormone, which could be secondary to that weight loss caused by that eating disorder. 
What about exercise? So that's kind of the same boat, right? Because you're getting a decrease in follicle-stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone, and that's going to be kind of secondary to that low body fat, okay. right? And um, same with, like, PCOS, same dealing with the hypothalamus, and that's, that's usually going to be also, like, a inappropriate, like, um, androgen, um, androgen concentration being um, in the blood. So and that can be a whole uh, – my original plan for this podcast, just to let you guys behind the scenes, was to kind of talk about multiple um, – menstruation related disorders and then Cole shut that down real quick and well we can like, get there we'll see he's you like know. no we're gonna no no it's too late now Cole. just to make Mike happy we'll see how this goes you guys no. might be in for um a duplex complex uh duplex podcast here we'll see right I think we'll I think we'll just keep it as <laughs> no um, but yeah so we'll definitely do another topic on that because that's um involves diff, you know slightly separate treatment and stuff so but can also cause amenorrhea is kind of like a secondary cause of that right and yeah she mentioned the medications certain antipsychotics and verapamil increasing prolactin um very interesting and not I don't think always something that is thought about I'm sure it is with um you know, somebody who's treating this, but in primary care or somebody else who is seeing somebody with this issue initially, not always something that's thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as symptoms, so the obvious symptom of amenorrhea would be the lack of menses. We're um, also probably, go- especially with PCOS and that sort of thing, going to get complaints of infertility, um, vaginal dryness, decreased libido, possibly. So those would be symptoms. Uh, other signs would be a recent or significant weight loss. Um, maybe, you know, because of exercise or some sort of eating disorder, uh, but also weight gain. And you may see signs of androgen excess. So uh, the presence of acne, hirsutism, hair loss, uh, also acanthosis. Uh, nigricans may suggest this, which is also um, kind of prominent with uh, type 2 diabetes. It's also a sign for that. Yeah, and if those those androgen excess symptoms are showing up, that's that's a lot of times will suggest that maybe the amenorrhea is being caused by PCOS to begin with. Yeah, so that can kind of lead your, um, obviously the labs is really what's going to help, but that can kind of lead your decision making a little bit. Right. Um, Rashawn, what kind of uh, labs should we be looking at? So with amenorrhea, you definitely want to check if the person has, is pregnant. So get a pregnancy test. You want to check their follicle stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone thyroid stimulating hormone and definitely the prolactin because that would be elevated and if you're thinking about pcos which is polycystic ovarian syndrome or other hyperandrogenic conditions you want to check their free and total testosterone their dihydro epiandosterone yep there we go (laughs) that word there and their fasting glucose and definitely get some lipid panels yeah yeah the, the the primary one being pregnancy but you know man that problem solved right yeah right <laughs> we have found the culprit. Yep. Um, no, nowhere else to go. We're just gonna, you know. Yeah, that's pregnant. that's the way. Uh, that's the way you hope in the lab test go because the mystery is then done. No further medication necessary. Yep. Maybe not the patient's first uh, first thought, but <laughs> right. for from a diagnostic standpoint, definitely makes things a little easier. Because if they're trying to get pregnant, then more than likely that would be why they would be thinking that they have amenorrhea. Yeah. It wouldn't be a surprise. Thank you, Cole. Yes. Sorry. Well, I mean, you wouldn't be investigating, right? You wouldn't have a differential if they're trying to get pregnant. Maybe they didn't know that was part of it. <laughs> Maybe they didn't take Maybe. gym class. I don't know. Maybe. Don't ask me. So uh, we mentioned medications. Um, some of the medications that could potentially cause an increase in that um, 
prolactin level uh, would be things like our first um, generation, like anti-dicotics um, like al- or haloperidol, um, like uh, procloperazine. Um, also, some like our second generation risperdone um, can potentially mm-hmm. do that. Um, one of our tricyclics, um, chlorpyrimine, can do that. So you may see that used. It's not really used very often anymore, but potentially like to, to augment uh, in OCD and things yeah. like that. Sometimes they'll use that particular tricyclic. Yeah, I still see it some. Yeah. Um, the antihypertensive uh, verapamil obviously is a big one to kind of be aware of. Um, metoclopramide can do that. So that's one that you still will see every once in a while. For I still see that a lot. Which and it's is, got some weird concerns too. Yeah, all the EPS and all, all that stuff. All the EPS and neurologic stuff. Definitely um, not a good drug to be on Memory disorders. It's really not great. But yeah, I, people are on that chronically. I've seen it. Like four times a day. Really? Oh, yeah. It's not an Why not? Elderly people. It's not unusual. That whole beer scratcher we talked about the last episode. I know. People, people don't need look to read at it. it. People need to people read it. People don't look at it. Which brings, we do need to do more with elderly stuff because truthfully, I get confused myself, but um, there's just a lot of situations where there's just not great alternatives. And so it's like either don't treat or you got to use this not ideal drug, but we'll do more on on beer's criteria stuff. So interestingly with the antipsychotics blocking the dopamine receptor, blocking the dopamine receptors is what causes the increase in prolactin by the antipsychotics. Block that dopamine blockade? Yeah. Right. Well, that and that, I, no, that makes a lot of sense too. Because if you think about one of the treatment options that we'll talk about, the dopamine agonist, mm-hmm. trying to get that dopamine to be re released. Yeah, again. which is I would suppose is why it is um, with both typical and atypical antipsychotics. Mm-hmm. Which I would guess, I don't know this for sure, that it would be more with typical because they have more significant dopamine blocking. But um, and risperidone res- uh, res- is yeah. uh, the most Typical, atypical. That's what they say. Right? Isn't that in the textbook, Roshana? Exactly what I say. Boom. <laughs> so that makes sense, too. That's cool. Put that on a t-shirt. I'll do it right now. <laughs> so I guess kind of uh, looking at the different treatment options, we'll break these down, but we can kind of start with you know the, what the underlying cause is, obviously. Once the labs come back and some of that, you still have to kind of pick your treatment option. So it is really based on like the underlying cause and you know where to kind of go from there. So Rashana brought up like anorexia as well, or um, ex- ex- excessive exercise, but the same thing with like anorexia or eating disorders. Um, you know, one of the first kind of quote unquote treatments is non non pharmacological. Right, would be obviously to you know in an ideal world, which is in especially in the case of like anorexia or something, is much easier said than done. But just increasing weight, um, and then if it's exercise or excessive exercise, could be a decrease um, to decrease the level of exercise. Which again, I, that's way oversimplified because right. it's going to be hard if the person's like a athlete and they really want to keep pushing themselves. That's going to be a hard sell. Right. And then a lot of times too patients who are doing an excessive amount of exercise are also struggling with some sort of an eating disorder, whether it's anorexia or something. That's why they're doing mm-hmm. excessive cardio and things. So really in that case too, the um, psychotherapy I think is going to be really important. It's getting them yeah. in touch with a counselor and getting them hopefully help to treat the underlying condition. And then once those things sort of stabilize, hopefully the issue will kind of fix itself. Um, but I guess I think, and I'm guilty of this too. Is from a as a pharmacist, I think like my first thought is always 
medication. Let's jump on yeah. that. And we, and it happens whether it's diabetes or whatever. We tend to just kind of jump right to that, and we forget. Oh yeah, that whole dial and lifestyle management that's mm-hmm. the most important. See episode uh, with Low Country Street Grocery. Yeah. Got to keep that healthy lifestyle, but also the behavioral part is uh, behavioral health part is huge too. And you know, especially now that like I've worked in a place that has counselors and stuff, you see how important that piece mm-hmm. is because a lot of these conditions, you know, it can it it's not just as simple as oh. Just gain weight. Well, it seems like a very vague, nebulous thing to say, like, oh, and, you know, like I say, you're a your student working up a patient, and they need CBT, right? So you just write CBT down. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean? Um, yeah. Or it, it's nice when you have counselors in your clinic that you work with that you can see that you can very quickly and easily refer over there to get treatment and see the benefit from that. Right. So if that is not effective, obviously, if it's effective, keep on going, and you don't have to necessarily worry about medication. If it's not... Um, then we have to consider looking at potentially a hormone replacement to kind of fix all the, 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 the cycles and the hormone levels and all that. Get everything going back to the way it's supposed to. <laughs> the technical way of putting it. Listen, don't, don't judge me. <laughs> so, um, Roshana, what are we thinking of first as far as treatment options in this case? Okay, so when you're thinking about treatment for amenorrhea, when it's anorexia or excessive exercise, you want to go with combined estrogen, hormonal, contraceptive. With these, you do want to be careful because there's an increased risk of retinal vascular thrombosis, increased triglyceride levels. Also, the patient can experience edema, hypertension, headache, weight gain, and depression, which in someone who's anorexic, you don't want. Right. Right. To exacerbate their mental health disorder. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also, obviously plain like conjugated um, estrogen tablets like Premarin um, or estriol patches. The issue with that though is, I mean, realistically there's, I mean, the black box warning for an increased risk of endometrial cancer. If you're giving estrogen by itself without mm-hmm. a progesterone component in patients that have not had a hysterectomy. So if a patient has a uterus, you're not going to ideally want to give them one of those estrogen by itself because of that risk. Right. Um, it's also going to be contraindicated in patients who have any kind of history of like breast cancer or any sort of like undiagnosed uterine bleeding. Um, they have a history of thrombosis disease, the thrombotic disease like um, VT, you know, PE, anything like that. Um, so, Ideally, we're going to try to stick with one of our combined estrogen progesterone because this, in a lot of patients, is going to be younger yeah. patients. So most of them are not going to be, if it's a case of they are undergoing menopause or perimenopause, then that's one thing because obviously estrogens are going to be our right. treatment option if they've had a hysterectomy and things like that. But if it's truly amenorrhea, especially if it's from this particular case, it's going to be younger patients. Yeah. So and you're going, to, you're going to see the combo more often than not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you are get a patient started on a combined um, hormonal contraceptive, we would expect to see kind of like uh, menses begin to get more on a regular schedule within a month or two of therapy. Then hopefully the situation kind of fixes itself. Right. With your medical intervention. Right. Yeah. Um, so if it's not anorexia or um, exercise related, uh, it could be from hyperprolactinemia. So we talked about the medications that can cause that. So if that's the case, um, you may want to have a risk-benefit discussion about either coming down or off of one of those or looking at an alternative. Um, If that's not possible, then you can treat it um, with other medications. So these would be dopamine agonists, which Mike referenced. Um, So that would be bromocryptine, which is cycloset, and also cupergeline. 
Um, so those are the dopamine agonist options in this situation. Bromocryptine um, can normalize prolactin levels in about 58% of affected women, while cabergeline has the same effect in 85%. Um, you do have to be careful, though. There are certain adverse effects to look out for um, from agonizing dopamine. So GI upset, uh, also orthostatic hypotension, um, headache, of course, and even nasal congestion. Um, you do need to get a baseline prolactin level, obviously. Um, this is You probably have that from realizing that that is the issue. But also weekly prolactin levels should be measured, measured um, with dose increases until the resumption of menses uh, happens. You can continue the therapy for 6 to 12 months following return of menses um, and continuation of the normal prolactin levels. So if it's an issue um, with uh, ovulation, specifically um, in cases of um, a patient that has PCOS, you know, one of the first things to kind of look at is, um, is pregnancy an immediate goal? Because sometimes the patient would come with this issue because, like Cole had mentioned earlier, infertility. They're trying to actively have a child and unable to do so. They're also not having a menstrual cycle, so they come seeking help. Um you know, if that's the, if the the case where a patient is trying to become pregnant, then um, we can use a aromatase inhibitor. And the one that's got the most data behind it in this particular case is um, latrozole. So that is basically helping to kind of induce ovulation. Um, and it's has less risks of like developing multiple follicles um, stimulation. So less risk of multiple births kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Which is not uncommon with people using fertility treatment. Yeah. That's uh yeah. I've, I've the only person that I know personally that under kind of went through that process ended up with like triplets. Jeez. I can't it's like, more than you bargained for. Oh my gosh. Like I, I don't know how I would take care of one kid. Like, <laughs> and I, they can't imagine three of them at the same time. That's so much respect. Any, anybody who has gone through that or twins even just like, take oh your three dogs and multiply by a hundred a million. Yeah. Cause you can't, you know, lock them behind the fence and leave them there. I thought, I thought the podcast was about to be at an end right there. You're going to say, just picture, it's just like having <laughs> it's a just dog. Like having dogs. Oh, and there we go. <laughs> For We're two guys with no kids. We're off the air. <laughs> yeah. Just like that. People, <laughs> parents love that. Yep. No, um, adverse effects though, um, headache, GI complaints, potentially joint and bone pain, um, edema, sweating, flushing, those have all kind of been reported with um, latrozole. Yeah, and you'll probably see this more frequently with um, breast cancer and that sort of thing, but yeah, used for amenorrhea and um, in PCOS. There are other options. You might be familiar, familiar with metformin um, as far as PCOS and infertility goes, but uh, we will talk more about that. Don't you find it it interesting that letrozole is one of the drugs that treat by center, but you can use it if someone wants to become pregnant? Yeah, that is interesting. That is interesting. Um, Because, right, that's what it's primarily marketed for, I would think, is breast cancer. But somebody wants to become pregnant, and this is an issue. They can. And I guess it makes sense if you have an overproduction of estrogen or testosterone, even, like, sort of that could be converted into estrogen, Mm -hmm. then, you know, that kind of does make sense from a... I guess a mechanism standpoint, but it is when you first see it, you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. Cause, um, Arimidex is another aromatase inhibitor you see kind of used, but I don't, I don't know that it, I've seen it off label in this particular case. It looked, um, letrozole is the one I always yeah. hear about. Letrozole. And I hear about clomiphene and metformin for, um, for PCOS for the yeah. most part is kind of what I hear. Uh, but yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, not too long ago, 
if you were struggling with infertility, there weren't too many options. But now, medication, other types of interventions, it's pretty fa- pretty fascinating. I don't think we've done an infertility one, have we? I don't think so. We pretty much shy away from the uh, women's health stuff. So what we got Rashawn on the team for. So that's when we run out of topics. We just we'll be like, okay, here we go. Women like just three months straight of women's health. We can definitely be here for that. Okay, there we go. I like good. it. We're gonna have to put it on the payroll. It's not a good payroll. Rashawn, There's so no don't, payroll. Don't, don't get excited. <laughs> yeah. Um. So if um, if it's an adolescent, obviously the un- finding the underlying cause of the amenorrhea is going to be important, whether that's primary or secondary. Um. And one of the reasons for that is because having um, specifically low estrogen levels. So um, that's if you think about estrogen being a key component in kind of like bone development, if a a female is having low estrogen levels, and I think I said elevated estrogen levels earlier, so I misspoke, but having um, low estrogen levels obviously could lead to um, negatively affecting the bone development Mm -hmm. in an adolescent. So if you have a patient who... Um, you know, is you're being you're being treated for this, and you're worried about that. Making sure that the patient, especially in adolescence, is getting adequate amounts of calcium, vitamin D, at least going out in the sun, and and doing whatever you can to kind of support that bone health. Right. Um. But yeah, find if potentially getting that estrogen replacement is going to be important. You do need that estrogen for osteoblast activity. Yes. yes. Osteoblast. And the opposite is osteoclast, because mm. B comes before C. That's <laughs> how you remember it. And B is for building. That's the alphabet. Oh, there you go. That's way better than mine. Doggone it, <laughs> Rashana. Always, uh, always outdoing me. And C is for clawing. It all crashes down. R- crashes. Okay. Gosh, she's, sure. she's got the building yeah. analogies. Rashana, don't even let Tool try to come up with analogies. <laughs> Study tools are not my thing. <laughs> Clever mnemonics. That's why I had to read things like three times because I couldn't come up with a clever way to remember it. <laughs> no joke. So what do you think, Oshana? Do you think we should uh, stop there? Should we tackle one more? We can go on to have a menstrual bleeding. And we'll make it a duplex podcast. See? Yeah, Rashawn's sure. calling the shots. Let's do it. She's in charge. Let's do it. What are some causes of heavy menstrual bleeding? We're going to the opposite end of the spectrum now. So we went from complete lack of a menstrual cycle to now... Um, one that's a little too harsh to deal with. So when you think of having menstrual bleeding, you're thinking of someone who's having more than 80 milliliters of blood loss per cycle, or they're having their menses for more than seven days in each cycle. There's a variety of causes. Hematological causes include the von Willeren disease, where there's a factor seven defect causing impaired platelet aggregation and increase in your bleeding time. Hepatic causes could include cirrhosis, where there's decreased estrogen metabolism. If you're thinking endocrine causes, you want to think about hypothyroidism and alterations in the hypoterritary ovary axis. And uterine causes, you could have fibroids, endometrial polyps, or gynecological cancer. And I think that definition is kind of weird. I think uh, in DePiro's like, textbook, it kind of even mentions this, where like the whole definition of uh, heavy menstrual bleeding where it's, it says a, a blood loss greater than 80 milliliters per cycle they even have a little kind of caveat to that of like it's pretty hard to measure yeah exact blood loss in this particular case so that's kind of a textbook definition right but yeah i think it's more going to be based on like you said the the lasting greater than seven days and just with the patient reported kind of yeah um, the impact it has bleeding, on yeah. quality of life and how they you know do they feel like it's heavy i'm sure that 
plays a role. And that's probably how it started out. And then somebody was like, no, you got to put a number on it. Yeah, we and they like were definitions. like, well, no, we like this, we like this, you know, patient reported definition. No, we need a certain amount of milliliters. So they said 80. They just picked 80. They just picked 80. Yeah. Good luck measuring it. 79, you're fine. 79, yeah, totally fine. Stop complaining. No problem. 80, now we need to treat you. So what kind of labs are we looking at in this particular case? With the labs, you want to get a CBC, you want to get ferritin levels, your hemoglobin levels. Since you're losing so much blood, you have to check these values. Hematocrit. Um, and then a lot of our, if we're worried about any kind of like coagulation disorder, obviously too, we would want to get PT and INR, factor eight, factor 10. So kind of standard stuff if you're yeah. thinking of any blood coagulation issue. issue. Yeah, coagulation yeah. issue and in general, if you're having, you know, a, a, you know, stomach bleed, you're going to order these things or some mm-hmm. other type of, of blood issue. Um, also potentially looking at like a pelvic ultrasound or an MRI, pap smear, endometrial biopsy in some cases. Um, it's on a histogram. There's lots of different uh, things we could potentially be looking at from a diagnostic standpoint. Yeah. So I guess once you've kind of established that, you know, a patient's a candidate for receiving pharmacological treatment, um, one of the first questions to kind of look for is, is contraception desired? Mm-hmm. So does the person need to have proper birth control? Um, if no, then we can use NSAIDs during um, the, you know, during menses. So starting off with something, you know, as simple as like naproxen, um, a lot of times, especially if there's uh, pain and stuff associated with it as well, you know, naproxen 550 milligrams twice a day is pretty common. Um, ibuprofen is used in some cases. I personally like naproxen just because compared to the other NSAIDs, just because it seems to be less kind of risky. Granted, these are most likely going to be normal, like a younger, I said almost normal, younger patients that probably don't have a lot of comorbidities. But to be on the safe side, if you're giving someone naproxen, um, even in the short term, um, I like that one a little bit better. It's a little bit easier in the stomach and um, not as you know, not as harsh on like the kidneys and right. stuff like that. Um, Celecoxib is another potential option. Um, we've talked at length, I think, about the study that kind of compared naproxen and celecoxib and it's not really fair to extrapolate that data i guess because that was more osteoarthritis type situation but um, i still um, in most cases like to try to naproxen if at all possible unless they have a history of like true like gastric ulcers or something like that and not only you know helping with discomfort it's literally reducing the amount of blood that's lost so exactly and that's the whole point of in this particular case of the NSAIDs yeah um, is that prostaglandin disruption, I guess, is what can limit. The problem is the amount that it limits, why they can or cannot be effective. It, there's, if you look at the actual kind of reference range, it's like 10 to 51%, depending on which source you're looking at. So I'm not sure that 10% is a good, yeah. very much uh, incentive to get on that. But, but you know, it might take you from 80 to 79 milliliters. True. And then by definition, you're, by cured. Definition, you're fine. That's a good point. We're being facetious. Roshana, you didn't think about that, did you? I did not. <laughs> okay. That's a good one. Thank God we're here. <laughs> so if NSAIDs um, are not going to be effective, um, what uh, what are we doing at that point? Roshana, what do you think? If the NSAIDs aren't working, you're going to consider transomic acid or some luteal phase progesterone for 21 days, and you want to start on day five of your menstrual cycle. Yeah. So... Trichinemic acid is one. I feel like we, I mean, it's you see it, but not a ton. I see it some. This is one that I was not familiar with until I got out of pharmacy school. 
like I had probably heard of it, but if you'd asked me what it's for, I probably couldn't really tell you. Um, but Listita is the brand name, and so I, I see it occasionally now. Yeah. Um, but it displaces plasminogen from fibrin, uh, resulting in inhibition of fibrinolysis. So um, it can be used, and this is, I mean, pretty much like the only thing I can think of it's used for. I've seen other things, like um, certain bleeding disorders and things like that, but yeah, it's... Primarily. Yeah, primarily this is, I think, one of its main indications. So it can cause um, some abdominal pain, some nonspecific things like headache and muscle cramps, uh, but also muscle spasms and back pain. Um, if a patient has a active or history of uh, some type of thromboembolic disease, then this would be contraindicated. Um, and it can have some drug interactions. So the effects of... Um, Listita might be increased by estrogen or other progestin derivatives. So, um, you know, if they're using that for some other issue, then this uh, would be one that you want to watch out for for an interaction. Um, because progesterone can be used in this situation to treat. Um, so similarly, if you know, you're not using tranexamic acid or NSAIDs, you can use uh, progesterone during the luteal phase um, or... Um, for 21 days starting on day five. Um, you can use progesterone and that would be another option. And I was just, because I I couldn't, there was some odd thing you can tr- use this to treat. And I was, I was looking at it real quick and it's actually um, hereditary angioedema, like long-term prophylaxis. Hmm. That's like an off-label use. Interesting. Before. And I, I couldn't think of for the life of me what that. But you've seen what, that before. It's yeah, interesting I, that you've I, seen that before. Just because I've, I've read about it in the probably textbook prepping for. Right. PA class. That's about my only excuse to know why I would know that. That's very so random. Definitely don't be, uh, definitely do not be uh, impressed. It's, um, it's pharmacy trivia. That's right. That's what that is. That's right. Yes. Yeah. You get free wings if you win. So obviously I'm going to go all out. Right. Um, so again, like if that's, um, if that's effective, then, you know, we can just compete, repeat that at the next cycle. If that's still not effective after you've tried those things, then we're looking more at like the combo. Um, hormonal contraception or even like a I, I, um, IUD um, yeah. of the progesterone only and potentially even like um, endometrial ablation surgery in some, mm. you know, extreme cases. Um, so kind of going back to the the combination and uh, contraception, because one of the, again, going back to that algorithm, you first thing you want to ask is whether or not they need contraception. If they do, then you would kind of jump right to, um, hormonal contraception. Um, the one that's actually approved now, granted multiple, multiple actual agents are used, but the one that's actually approved on the, in the label indication is the quadrophasic, um, combination, um, tablet, which is the estradiol valerate and, um, Dianagest, the Natesia, I think the brand name is. Hmm. So there's, and I think that's the only quadrophasic on the market, if I remember correctly. And I remember thinking, when I saw that one, I remember thinking more so that they just tried to get the estrogen progestin levels as close to natural as you know they could. And so they kind of separated over four different phases. But this one actually is specifically indicated for heavy menstrual bleeding as well as just contraception. So you can use any of them, but that's the one if you want to get real specific, that's the one you to go with. It's pretty specific. It's so specific. <laughs> Um, IUD-wise, uh, you're probably familiar with most of them, but there's the levonorgestrel IUDs, Marina, Skyla, uh, Kylina. Probably seen commercials for them, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but they are similarly associated with a 10 to 51% reduction in blood loss, so wide-ranging benefits. Um, in particular, um, well, I guess it's been result it's resulted in postponing or canceling scheduled ablation surgery or hysterectomy. So you would probably consider that before going to the more what you'd consider severe surgical measures like ablation or hysterectomy. Yeah, and it, it's one of our uh, our women's health nurse practitioners that we work with was um, talking to us about this today because one of my PA students, who's uh, a guy, shout out to Alex, he's um, he's he's with her this month, and so we were joking about you know having to, him having to learn how to place IUDs and stuff as part of their their curriculum, and uh, she was talking us through it, and, I, and she's like, "You guys want some practice ones that you can take if you want to, you know, for your for your," and I was like. I don't think I'd be the one. <laughs> I think we need to have you come on the podcast yeah. and you can demonstrate because I don't have a clue how to place that. But she's actually got like a practice, you know, thing to, to get effective at placing them and stuff. Really? Like that. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Yeah. yeah. I uh, definitely above my pay grade, but I, mm-hmm. I can definitely appreciate the, the technique of it for sure. So for a patient who doesn't want to use an IUD but wants to go for the progesterone option, they can always go for the progesterone-only tablets, which are norethindrone acetate or medroxyprogesterone acetate, which is Provera. Yep. As far as contraception goes, though, those aren't the greatest for contraception, only because they have a very specific window um, that you have to take it every day. So if you forget, then, you know, you've got to use backup contraception. Um, I want to say it's like a one to three hour window that you have to take it in or something like that, but yeah. very specific. It's a three hour window. You three have hours. to take it within that time or else you need some backup. Yep. Yep. And, um, and in this case, if you're taking the progesterone only specifically for the, the menstrual bleeding, then you're doing the, uh, usually like therapy for 14 days. Um, but even then the results aren't super impressive as far as the reduction in, um, blood loss. So, um, when uh, I think the one that leads the to the the method that leads to the most um, reduction in blood loss is when it's administered for 21 days, starting day five after the onset of menses, and that they call it like the long course administration. Um, that's been shown to reduce blood loss of 63 to up to 78 percent blood loss in women. So that seems to be the the one that has the most evidence behind it, the most effective way. But then you're on this medication for the majority of the month, right? Um, monitoring as far as like seeing how well these are working, um, from a NSAID standpoint, we would expect to see a reduction in blood loss within the first month or two. Um, the trexanemic acid, um, obviously the reduction of blood loss, um, should be noticeable hopefully within the first month. And if the patient's having, you know, noticeable decreases in like hemoglobin, hematocrit, um, those should actually be improving and going more towards normal, uh, levels within, um, you know, the, after the first three months or so, um, compared to the patient's baseline. So hopefully that those numbers are improving. So not just the, the overall blood loss, but actually their CBC is stabilizing. Right. Um, same kind of thing with the combo products or the long astrin um, or the interuterine um, progesterone. Um, same kind of thing. First two, one month to two of therapy, you get the reduction of blood loss, and then your CBC would be kind of normalizing specifically your hemoglobin and your hematocrit after about three months compared to that patient's baseline. So not a ton, not a super complex. I, I mean, obviously we're way oversimplifying it, right. but um, the pay, the treatment algorithm is not super in depth. 
So the the hard part is going to be, you know, really establishing the the root cause to begin with. And yeah. That's, luckily, especially in the farm, that's part of it. We just get to come in after the hard part's done and just talk about the drugs. Yeah. Problem is, uh, we don't only have farm deed listeners, so <laughs> some of you guys actually have to figure out what's wrong. Hey, well, thank God for you guys, because yeah, we're not doing it. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Did we miss anything, Rashawn? What else? I think we got it all. Did we? I highly doubt that. <laughs> Rashawn, we appreciate you being here. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we need. Uh, we definitely needed the female expert spokesperson for sure. Yeah, definitely series two. I'll do PCOS for you too. Nice. Nice. All right, you heard it here, folks. Um, yeah, no, so I'm, I'm definitely, Rashawn, all joking aside, I'm going to miss you a lot next month because uh, you've, you've been killing it this month on rotation. So I'm keep up the good work. She's, I've been joking with her that uh, it's just a matter of time before I have to hand her my keys and she <laughs> takes my job because she's a lot better than I am. <laughs> no. Appreciate you saying that online. There you and go. On now, the record. It's on the record. It's on, on the go. record. And you know what? I'm competitive, so. Unless he just edits it out, but he's never done that before, so. No. Secretly, I don't even know how. So. <laughs> no. So um, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that was somewhat helpful. I know that's a topic that we don't normally go on, but um, I hope that uh, kind of is a quick refresher for you. Um, definitely would encourage you to, there's a whole section if you, for the farm people out there, the, if you're familiar with Tapiros, there's a whole uh, chapter that they wrote out on um, menstruation disorders. And uh, you know, read through that. It's got a lot of detail, a lot of list of clinical trials and meta-analyses and things like that. So definitely check that out. Uh, if you have any questions for us, um, feel free to email us. And um, the email is listed in the show notes. Um, reach out to us on direct message over any of the social media platforms. You can text us directly at area code 415-943-6116. And uh, also, too, if you want more, like, legitimate lecture style information uh, we have the patreon account now where we have lectures that are you know the ones like similar that i give my pa students where it's more of a classroom type setting um and you get the list of you know the, the slide sets and all that stuff like that and the topics kind of vary all the way from women's health to diabetes and all over the place so we got quite a few um, lectures available online now it's like three dollars a month you get access to all of them you can get access and then you can share it to all your friends and just bootleg them to everybody. <laughs> That's cool too. It's fine. It's like Netflix. It's like Netflix. So yeah, um, check that out if you're interested and uh, definitely uh, appreciate you guys following and um, subscribing and supporting us. We love it. And we'll see you next time. Roshana, come back and see us. Definitely. See you guys. <laughs>